everyone, and welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about eliminating screen conflict in their home. Hi, this is Melanie Hempy, and I am so thrilled you're here today. You're not going to believe our show today is so exciting. If you are an old friend, welcome back. Thank you so much for sharing this podcast with all of your friends. And if you're new, you're going to be so excited today because you're just going to love our guest. In fact, just make a note to thank the friend that told you about the podcast. Before we get started, I have to tell you a little story. A couple days ago, I was on a radio interview and I I love going on radio because it's live and I just love answering live questions. And so the host asked me at the very end, Melanie, won't your kids hate you and binge and go crazy if you don't let them on screens? Over-controlling parents, you know, kids don't um, do well when parents are over-controlling and they rebel. And she said, parents who don't give their kids access to all these screens are helicoptering their kids and they're holding on too tight and they're putting their kids in a bubble and they're living in a bubble. And I just love it when I get this question because it is such a myth. And I said, look, this is the reality. (laughs) Many kids with smartphones are the ones that are in the bubble. The smartphone kids, the screen kids, I call them, they're the ones that are living in a bubble. They are tethered to their parents 24-7. Their parents are watching every move. They're, they tag them with the GPS chip like you do your dog, like it's just so crazy. And so I want you to start thinking differently about that myth and that fear, because that is a normal fear that people have. Oh, you're over controlling. Your kids are in a bubble. Our kids have a lot of fun. We have so much fun in our house. That question that she asked me on the radio, I have to kind of stop a minute and say, wait a minute, what do you mean our kids are going to hate us? Our kids love us. Like we, we have so much fun. Now you have to remember, I raised a gamer. So we have four kids. So our oldest son, I, I would say his childhood wasn't very fun. And, and very sadly, he has told me, mom, my childhood was terrible. <laughs> didn't have any fun. And I feel bad. And we've made our peace and we've talked about it. And he's very much a spokesperson for Screen Strong right now, but he's, he's correct. His childhood was sitting wrapped up in a blanket in the basement, you know, uh, playing Call of Duty. This isn't very fun. So let me tell you what happened yesterday. Our boys are big baseball fans and, you know, so is my husband. So this is the thing. So the Phillies after what, 11 years made it to the playoffs or made it to the world series. And so they looked at everything. They realized they only had a half a day of school yesterday because of some testing that was going on. They convinced their dad to drive them four hours to Atlanta yesterday afternoon. So for the moment, they make this plan and they get dad, you know, of course, it's really hard to convince dad, right? To go to the Phillies game because he's been a Phillies fan his whole life. But let me just tell you, first of all, my oldest son never would have done that. There's no way he would have gotten in the car for four hours to drive to Atlanta to then turn around after the game and drive home right? In the middle of the night, he would have much rather have just stayed home and played his video game. So this is what I want you to understand about screen strong kids and their families. So this is what happened. And this is why the screen strong lifestyle is so enriching. And it's so fun for kids. And this whole myth about the bubble and the helicoptering, your kids are going to hate you and they're going to binge and go crazy and they're going to rebel. Like, it's so foreign to me. Like, are you kidding me? This isn't going to happen. So I jotted down this morning when I got up, I was thinking, okay, what little story can I tell today? I jotted down these few little things that I see from being a screen strong mom, what my kids got yesterday in the last 24 hour period. First of all, they got four hours up and four hours back. That's eight hours of time with dad in the car with no screens, with dad being really fully present. I mean, he's driving, but he's fully present. And they get to listen to their music and talk about life and all kinds of stuff without any screen distractions. The next thing they got was a little lesson in patience. Because if you know what happened yesterday, they got to Atlanta and there was a three hour rain delay (laughs) for the game. So they're in the rain, they're soaking wet. They're sending me, my husband sent me a picture and he goes, we made it, but now we're waiting three hours. So because of the rain delay, they had to practice patience right? They had to wait. So they had to figure out what to do. So they walked around the stadium. They did a little adventure and met people and whatnot. The third thing they learned were these incredible social skills. Because when your kids are on a screen on social media or video games, they are not learning social skills. I don't even know. They're just like morphed into some weird, weird vortex of some strange world. They are not learning social skills. But my kids had to sit in the stands with all these people around them 
And they sat next to this group of young guys. I think they were in college and they got to be really good friends with them. And they were talking to them nonstop. Chris said they were just talking nonstop the whole time and about, all about sports and statistics and watching the game and all this stuff. And it was just so fun. And Evan on the way home in the car, he goes, mom, I met these guys. And like, if they lived near us, we would be like their friends. Like we really got along with them and they were college kids. And I thought, oh, that's really enriching for you to be able to do that. Guess what? The Phillies lost. <laughs> so they drove all that way and the Phillies lost and they had to learn to deal with that disappointment. Right. The next thing was, they said, mom, the Phillies fans were like, so nice. I mean, I mean, excuse me, the Braves fans were so nice because they were in the Braves stadium and they said they, they were such good sports. It was really nice to see because, you know, we had all our Phillies gear on and they could have been mean to us, but they weren't mean to us. They actually talked to us. And I thought, what a neat thing that they got to see what it felt like to be the guest team in the home stadium and to watch how the fans are supposed to act, right? You're supposed to be welcoming. The next thing, this is so cool. The next thing they learned was my husband told me last night when he was driving home, he said, you know, there was a rowdy crowd and it was really good, but there was some drinking going on. And there was a couple groups ahead of rows ahead of us. They'd already had three hours of drinking before the game started. And he said they were a little rowdy. I mean, they were fine. Everybody was fine. He said, but I got to have really good conversations with the boys about drinking. And they got to see these people are acting a little crazy, you know, and um, Chris said it was such a good life lesson to be able to show them, you know, and talk to them about drinking. And this goes back to my point where I tell you all the time that your kids don't have to drink in order to talk to them about drinking. They do not have to do drugs in order to talk to them about drugs. And they do not have to do social media video games in order to learn how to do social media video games. So they got a little life lesson there about alcohol. And maybe that will kind of add up in their brain to think, you know, when we get to college, we're probably not going to do that because that looks kind of pretty silly. The next thing they learned um, was when they got home, it's 3.15 last night. <laughs> they had to still get up for school this morning because our family values say that we don't miss school for fun road trips. <laughs> and so they had to learn this responsibility of getting up and they got up, you know, I know they're exhausted. I know they'll be tired tonight, but it was just so fun. They also finally experienced this unconditional love from their dad by his actions, by him taking a day, half day off work and saying, guys, yeah, let's do it. Let's go have some fun. And so when that radio host started talking to me about my kids hating me and wanting to rebel, I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. We have so much fun with our kids and we take advantage of these kinds of opportunities all the time to have fun, have fun with them. And honestly, they are not living in a bubble. Their brother, unfortunately, we did let him live in a bubble and he never would have gone on a road trip like that. That just wasn't interesting to him. So I hope that little story helps. And I hope that really encourages you to go plan some impromptu uh, little day trips with your kids. Surprise them. You know, what was really fun for me as a mom because I wasn't going. It was a boy's trip. But what was really fun is yesterday morning, I thought, okay, what can I do? Because I have to do something. So I ran to the store and I got them their little favorite candy and I put it in the car. They didn't know I did that. And so when they got in the car and when they called to let us know, let me know they were on the way, they were like, mom, you got my favorite candy. And it was just really fun. And I'm not trying to say that we are the perfect family. We are not the perfect family, but this screen thing, we got this figured out. And it's because I did it all wrong with the first one. I kind of figured out what to do with the second go around here. And we do have so much fun. So I want you to think of, of screen strong is not being a takeaway mentality. It is a giving. Let's add to our kids' life. Let's think of all the fun things we can do with them. So when they leave the nest, they are not going to binge and go crazy and rebel and hate us. That is not at all what's going to happen. So today we have an incredible guest that many of you already know. In fact, many of you probably feel like our guest is one of your best friends because you've read his book, his book, Glow Kids. You would love to hug his neck right now and thank him for writing it. I know because you're in my Facebook group and you're constantly talking about Glow Kids because this book has changed your life. He has given you the tools and most importantly, he has given you the words to use when you're talking to your kids and to your spouse and to all your peers about this issue. Nicholas and I were in the film screened out together and we have also been on a few webinars together and he has a new book 
digital madness, how social media is driving our mental health crisis and how to restore our sanity. That is brand new just last month. So welcome, Nicholas, to the show. Oh, Melanie, thank you so much for having me. I, I do have to say that your your baseball story, I was brought brought up a lot of pain for me because I'm a Mets fan. I'm a lifelong Mets <laughs> fan, and we got eliminated by the Padres last week. And and uh, and yeah, so I was kind of you know I was kind of holding in some of the pain that I was feeling. But you know, it's so funny because um, you know, as Mets fans, when we grew up in New York, my kids, my twin boys, they're they're baseball players, and their birthday is April sixth, and it's usually opening day. And we've driven down when opening day was because it's usually they, they play the Phillies oftentimes. So we've driven down their one birthday one year about four or five years ago, right before the pandemic, was driving down to Philly for opening day and watching the opening, you know, opening day festivities when they were like 11 or 12. And it was fantastic. It was just great to do exactly what you just said your husband did with your kids. And baseball's been a big part of that for my family, too. Well, my empathy goes out to you <laughs> for the season this year because I know that your your Mets were really good and we kind of kept up a little bit with that but honestly we were really happy that the Phillies <laughs> and so um <laughs> 101 wins to lose in the wild card game but we're wild card series but we won't talk about that we'll we'll move no, on we we'll have, move past we, that. that's that can be yeah that can be another show that we talk about how we uh deal with the pain from losing in sports but sports is a really big part of our life and i know that there are a lot of kids and maybe you can even speak to this for a second there are a lot of kids out there whose moms tell me well they're not into sports they're not athletic and my opinion is that you know every kid if he can walk even if he's in a wheelchair, actually, he can still be involved in sports. But if your child is breathing, then there is a sport that they can do. And it is such a fabulous activity for boys you know, and girls, but boys especially need to get all this energy out. And so I highly, highly, highly encourage you that even if they're not good, it doesn't matter. In fact, if they're not good, that's even almost better in some respects because it teaches them a lot of humility. But um, that exercise is super important. Plus, it's the gift that keeps giving because then they collect baseball cards and then they get to sit and talk to people and they act, I mean, they're very interesting because they know all this stuff about something besides video games. Yeah. But video game obsessed kids, unfortunately it, it saps their enthusiasm or their, even their motivation to do something, which takes some stick to like sports do. I mean, we moved back to the New York area. We had been living in Austin, Texas, and we moved back to the East end of Long Island, Southampton, Sag Harbor, where we live. And and uh, a couple of the coaches were telling me the Southampton football team for the first time in years was not able to field the football team because there were not enough high school yes. kids that were motivated or willing enough to, and it wasn't the concussion thing because, you know, let's face it, his parents are the world tuned into that part of it. It was mm -hmm. just, it took too much effort and, you know, gamers are known for their lack of effort in a lot of real world experiences. And it was so sad for me to hear, I played a lot of sports as a kid and to hear that kids we sound like old timers, kids today, that kids today don't have, a lot of them don't have the initiative to go out to practice, to try out and to do, you know, that character building thing that it takes to be a member of a team. That's sad. That's sad. Yeah. Yeah. It is really sad. And we have had in our school, I know one of the coaches told us that uh, some of their best football players quit to play Fortnite, to get better at Fortnite. So that was very, very disturbing to me when I heard that. And, and you, know, you know what I think is evil about the, that whole, the esports e movement? Yeah. It's, for me, it's so Orwellian and so evil that you've taken probably the single biggest activity that's led to pediatric diabetes, obesity, you know, the sedentary lifestyle of our children, which is not healthy for them. And you've called it a sport, esports. Oh, so you've taken this sedentary activity. I mean, back when I was a kid growing up, you know, if you were, uh, if you bowled or played billiards, that was like not even considered real. You know, those were like yeah. you know skill activities. But gaming, to call it a sport, is is just so. It's like the oxymoron of military intelligence. How can you call yeah. something that you do in your easy boy chair? And, and and yet, so kids are bought into that. Now, you know, there's scholarships and there's e-athletes and there's leagues and there's prizes. And it's legitimized in a way that I think is really toxic, right. this toxic activity. Well, it's like gambling. Gambling is not a sport, but 
video gaming is very similar to gambling, right? So I guess, are we going to start having gambling leagues in our schools now? And that well, sounds- But look, the gambling's been legitimized now. If you watch any NFL game now, all the sports betting uh, commercials. That yes. To, you never, I mean, years ago, you never were allowed to cross-pollinate real professional sports and gambling was the underworld of the mafia and everything else. And now you have- um, I forget the name of the, you know, the, the, yeah. Every time you watch an NFL game, every other commercial yeah. is a gambling site. So they've legitimized gambling. Yeah. So they've blurred the lines with a lot of this toxic stuff, whether it's gambling, whether it's gaming, it's all been blurred and made okay and normalized. Yeah. It, it's the dark side of it has mm -hmm. just come into the mainstream now. And that, you know, it's one thing when, they want to advertise it, but it's quite another thing when they're going to give a child a scholarship for it. And my daughter, it was a, a D1 athlete in gymnastics. And let me tell you how that graded on her nerves. <laughs> She's mm -hmm. like, how can they get a scholarship for something when I'm spending, you know, four hours every day of my life yeah. working out? Like, and she's, she's right. It's not, it's mine, a little bit mind boggling there, but why don't you start a minute here by telling us, I think everybody's really interested in hearing a little bit about your background and how you got interested in this issue. How did this come across your desk, this whole issue? Because you obviously you wrote like one of the best books on, on it. <laughs> so how did, give us a little bit of your background. Yeah, I was a, I was a psychologist, I am a psychologist and I was a professor at Stony Brook Medicine. I was teaching, I'd been teaching for about a decade, um, had a private practice, was also running an addiction treatment program of, of place in East Hampton, New York, that was considered a, you know, a high-end treatment program. So my specialization, what I focused on was uh, behavioral health and addiction. And so I had been a, an addiction specialist for a couple of decades. And about 12 or 13 years ago, I had a teenage boy that was referred to my practice who was in full-blown video game psychosis. Um, he had been playing World of Warcraft for 12 to 13 hours a day, was essentially in the matrix, Melanie, he couldn't tell he was blinking really hard. He was looking around and he didn't know where he was, who he was. We kept, I kept trying to orient him, asking him grounding questions like you're supposed to do. And then after a few minutes, he said, are we still in the game? Oh. And I said, huh, no, we're not in the game. You're, you're in my office. And, and, you know, he, you know, eventually what, what emerged was that again, he'd been playing for several nights in a row, very sleep deprived. So when you, the intersection of sleep deprivation and excessive gaming, he couldn't discern reality from the game. And he was sent to psychiatric hospital, which was not really, it wasn't, it wasn't genuine psychosis. It was sleep deprived gaming induced psychosis. But you know, once you get sent to a psych hospital, he was given antipsychotic medications. And, you know, a month later when he came out, Ah. Um, it was not the ideal outcome, but that was an aha moment for me because I had worked with a lot of substance-induced derealization or not able to tell what's real and what's not, crystal meth and the proverbial bad acid trip, but I'd not seen that uh, from a gaming-induced experience. So that was my first awakening. And then just um, I was doing a lot of contracted work with schools, and I just started seeing the habituation of kids to their devices and being an addictions expert. Um, I I was looking around and I was asking my colleagues, don't these, this looks like all the hallmarks of addiction, all the diagnostic <laughs> criteria of addiction. And, you know, seven, eight, nine years ago, this was an uphill battle to convince yes. the mental health field that this was a thing, right? And, yeah. you know, you, you've been part of this battle. Yeah. Um, we had a handful of people who were just saying, no, this is just a hobby, Leave, mm -hmm. let the kids play. And, but then there were some of us who were getting really at the extreme end of this bell curve some really uh, unwell kids and and so the battle and this is kind of the bigger narrative the battle i think a few years ago was screens and many of these platforms gaming or social media are addictive by design they're habitual they're not accidentally habit forming these are very smart people using the most sophisticated algorithms and behavior mod techniques to addict our kids but now the bigger picture is that was just that was just the price of admission so now that you're addicted What's, what's the byproduct of that habituation? And so that's the book that I've just written now, Digital Madness, looks at, at, at all the mental health metrics that have sprung or that have emerged from our kids being habitual or young, forget kids, or young adults or, and our adults. Why are we so uh, the most depressed, anxious, suicidal, overdosing, um, attentionally uh, challenged than we've ever been? Because the mental health metrics in 2019, before COVID, 
were the worst that they'd ever been. We had the highest rates of suicide, overdose, um, and anxiety. And then COVID was just fuel to the fire because COVID was just, if anything, was a beta test of, okay, let's see what happens when we ramp up screen time. And then what we saw was mental health even got worse than it had been before. So that's the bigger picture is, yeah, step one, the big tech playbook is addiction. And now step two is this sort of what I call a weakening of our psychological immune system. Mm -hmm. You know, when you said World of Warcraft, that's what my son was on. Mm -hmm. I won't say played. It played him. Wow crack. Wow crack is it's commonly called, right? Yeah. And he and it's because it never ends. Right. It never, 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 never ends. And this is where he ended up dropping out um, in college. He he went to school. And I'm curious what you think about this, because I just have anecdotal evidence. There's not a whole lot of studies on why boys drop out that first year in college. But we hear over and over that video gaming is one of the number one reasons why they do, because they can't function. They can't go to class. I mean, the worst you know, nothing's worse really than, I mean, you've got your gamer in your basement, right? With mom, there setting the kitchen timer, trying to get him to eat dinner at least. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But then he goes to school and he's in a dorm room, probably with a few other guys that are doing the same thing. And he ended up just not finishing, not going to classes. And when I picked him up from school that year, after his first year, we picked him up. I was driving home with him in the car and he just looked terrible and with my nursing background, I thought he's on drugs. He looks yeah. just like somebody who's on drugs. He hadn't had a bath like in mm-hmm. a week. He his clothes were nasty. His face, you know, was all oily. He was looking very he was completely out of it. He's like, no, mom, I'm not on drugs. It was World of Warcraft. His exact quote was that game did something to me. And that's where I kind of got my aha moment. But why do you think because I totally hear what you're saying. Five, six, seven years ago, you couldn't even say the word addiction with video games. Like people just thought you were crazy. I would go do presentations and they would be, oh, come on now. You can't be addicted to a video game. That's just a thing you're getting to. And I'm like, okay, well, now we know that. I mean, now there's so much science around it. And of course, the science has always been there because science doesn't really change. Our understanding of the science changes. But, you know, the truth doesn't change. But isn't it fascinating how now I think... Um, and especially after COVID, like you just said, I think parents are much more aware. Yeah. Okay. Now we have a problem, right? It, it's like now I, it's in my face. Like I can't deny it anymore. What is your thought? Cause you've been in this space for a long time with how the pendulum has swung with parents. Cause I feel like they were very much in denial and now more and more people are kind of getting thought out in their understanding. it. Yeah, I think. In the same way that there was a movement to increase screens in the classroom before COVID, and I think parents who, myself included, experienced you know Zoom schooling, you know now been there, done that with that experiment, right? I think parents saw firsthand that you increase screen time, mental health increases. It, there's mm-hmm. a direct correlation, right? And it's one step forward for technology, two step forward backwards for humanity. Yeah. And um, so I think parents started seeing that, oh my God, you know this keeping my kid more sedentary and more screen tethered through this COVID period and quarantine, they're more depressed, they're more anxious, they're they're less able to complete sentences, they're 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 digressing in very visible mm-hmm. ways. So I think parents started realizing it in ways that maybe they didn't viscerally or maybe experientially understand it before. And I do think, you know, the the big tech defectors that did things like the social dilemma documentary and sort of mm-hmm. pulled back the curtain on the playbook and and essentially said, look, We've been doing this to your children by design, on purpose. This wasn't some conspiracy theory that people like you and I were kind of, you know, we were the Paul Revere saying, wait a second, this thing is, these these platforms are really destructive to some kids. And we're not saying all that every kid that plays a game is going to become um, horribly addicted or a school shooter, but, but there are some bad outcomes happening here. And all kids are getting impacted, but to varying degrees. So I think that started shifting the 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 collective consciousness of the society to see that this is not a good thing for us. And how do we now swing back into how does the pendulum swing back yeah. into a more uh, balanced? And, you know, how do we you know, I love the Thoreau saying that we become the tool of our tools. <laughs> how do we get, gain control and put the tools back in the toolbox in the way that we're in control 
not that they're controlling us. Um, I can tell you for me, uh, and this was helpful for some of the people that I was trying to convince that this is a real addiction. Um, I had been contacted by the military, by the Department of Defense, right before COVID, about a year and a half before COVID. Um, they wanted me to do some trainings with the clinicians for the Air Force. And I said, oh, why, why do you want me to do some trainings for the social workers and psychologists that work for the Air Force? And they said, well, and the woman was a little bit embarrassed about it. She said in the last year, there had, well, she said, well, so first of all, gaming is sweeping through barracks throughout the, both the country and around the world. These essentially all these military young men are gamers, right? They grew up in gaming culture. Now they're 18, 19, they're in the military. So either they're bored or they have some PTSD and they're gaming almost nonstop. But the tipping point was the problem had become so severe that year, I think it was 2018, 17 or 18, that five Air Force babies had died in the crib due to parental neglect because their fathers had been left alone with the baby for the weekend or for a few days. Mom was away and the fathers were playing 48, 72 hour Jags of World of Warcraft while the baby died of neglect. Oh my and, gosh. And, and so that was my, uh, that was my what? And she said that the Department of Defense had to create a new uh, designation for the death certificate of these babies that was death to electronic distraction. Oh, and that's goodness. that's when I said, let someone tell me that this isn't an addiction. And, and 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 as the woman who worked for the Air Force told me, these are young men that had jobs that were functioning, that were trained soldiers. And, and they felt so vulnerable to this, you know, wow crack where they weren't going to the bathroom. They weren't eating. Yeah. Then they weren't feeding their own children. And so if that's not an addiction, I don't know what is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh my gosh, that is so sad. And that kind of thing you don't really see in the news. Oh, that they they very consciously kept that on the down low. And she was very, I mean, I wrote an article about it. I got permission to do that, but she was really concerned that they not get too much attention for that. Yeah. But I can totally see it because I could have seen with my my son just experiencing this myself from a parent level. I know exactly how that happens. If you're listening and you have young kids and you're thinking, what are you talking about? Like, how does that happen? How does your kid not go to the bathroom, you know, or he wets the sofa because he doesn't want to move. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't want to leave his Fortnite game. No, this, this is really real. It's like, until you live with a gamer, it's really kind of hard to, to understand that. I totally understand that they are immersed in a different world. Their brain has mm -hmm. shifted their fight flight system is totally mm -hmm. stimulated and they they're in that world. Right. So their hygiene. So they're not going to care if they're not going to go to the bathroom. They're not going to comb their hair or wash their clothes. I mean, so it's almost like a Maslow's hierarchy thing right now. The number one priority is gaming. And, you know, if you if you Google World of Warcraft and adult diapers, there's whole chat rooms out there of 18 year olds discussing oh which are the gosh. best adult diapers to wear while doing a wow raid because during the raid you don't want to go to the bathroom <laughs> oh and so that's my other line if you're 18 and you're wearing depends because you're yeah. gaming yeah that might be a sign that you have an addiction that you have yeah, a problem think? Right? yeah and if you're a young mom out there and you think that would never be your child please don't think that it happens very quickly it happens overnight it is like like a drug and i think parents have a lot of blind spots like i did i had i didn't understand yeah. What was happening? Can you or go ahead? Yeah. Well, I was, I was going to say, and the problem is those are the extreme cases, but I think the, even the less extreme cases, every kid gets impacted, you know, not every kid's going to be wearing. So sometimes I think we do this in the addiction world where you'll point to the most severe case and say, well, my kid, or I'm not that. So maybe I don't have a problem, but it's, it doesn't take the most severe cases. And I loved when you said earlier, you said that reframing something as the freedom, like you were saying that, you know, your, your family and having to be a screen free family. And they were saying that they're not going to have fun and that, that the helicopters were the ones who um, in the mm -hmm. addiction world, we have a similar kind of um, reframing, right? Because so many substance addicts will say, I want the freedom to be able to drink or to drug. Right. I don't want the constraint of not being able to drink or drug. And, and I heard it said so powerfully when I first got into the field, if you're an addict, you're not free. Um, right. Real freedom is recovery, right? right? Recovery is being able to then have choices in your life because now you've broken the chains. Because any active addict is is a slave. They're in cha they're chained to their 
compulsion, whatever that may be, behavioral or substance-wise. And so to fool yourself into thinking that you want the freedom to be a slave yeah. is, is that's part <laughs> that's part of the 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 self-talk illusion. And so if we can convince our young people and our families that the real freedom comes in not being enslaved or tethered to a device, the real freedom is living your life. That's freedom. And 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 the opposite is is yeah. uh, the lack of choice. It is a total myth, and it's so backwards. And I love that you bring that up because Green Strong is all about freedom. We're all about freeing our kids, being free to do all these other things, and just mm-hmm. really enjoy our relationships and live in the real life and the real life of going to the Phillies game in the right. middle of a moment when you just want to go and. It's not the bondage of being tied to that addiction and to that video game. And to your point that you just made really well, that a lot of parents don't understand it because they, they never can see their kid in that extreme. And so I have a whole handout that I did on this about what it looks like in your home. And so maybe your child isn't wetting the sofa right now, mm-hmm. but if your child is playing Fortnite and the doorbell rings, and his buddy wants to go ride a bike, which I know that's kind of unusual these days. But and if he says, no, I'll go later or no, I want to play my Fortnite or no, why don't you come in here? That's the same thing that you were on that path of him making the choice to stay in the game rather than to go be with a real person. So it all happens very slowly, um, very quietly. I always say a drowning child makes no noise. Right. Mm-hmm. So the wow. same with. Wow. With my um, gamer, he was very quiet. He doesn't, he won't wake up one day and say, hey, mom, I think I'm getting addicted to this. You need to take it away. And he doesn't make any noise. And it's kind of nice, but he's drowning and we don't even know. There are a couple of things that that you touch on that I want you to elaborate. First of all, review just quickly for us, because I know we're going to have a lot of dads listening to this and not, I don't want to pick on the dads. We love all of our dads, but um. But sometimes mom comes into this issue and she um, is very passionate about cutting back on the video games and not doing the smartphones. And dad needs a little more logic. He wants a lot more facts. And so can you just review very quickly what happens in the brain and just a little bit about the brain science around addiction in general and this specifically? Right. So we know that. um, So how dopamine activating an experience or substances tends to correlate with how uh, strong the addictive potential is of that behavior or that substance. And so um, the more dopaminergic is the phrase that we use, the more dopamine activating something is, the the higher the likelihood that it is for someone to get potentially hooked on that potential behavior. And so Dr. Cope did a study way back in 1998, which was in peer-reviewed, it was in Nature Magazine, and he looked at a whole host of behaviors and substances, and he saw how much they spiked your dopamine, because dopamine, as many of us know, is the it's the neurotransmitter that's most closely associated with addiction or addictive disorders. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Cope found that food, food can raise dopamine 50% and a, a sexual experience can raise dopamine hundred percent and uh, stimulant drugs like cocaine raised dopamine uh, 300, 350%. But what was interesting mm-hmm. is back in 1998, and let's think about 1998 video games, you know, not quite Pong, but not quite Grand Theft Auto either. Uh, 1998 video games raised dopamine 100%, the exact wow. same amount as a sexual experience. So wow. what I pointed out in Glow Kids is we're essentially allowing kids to have digital orgasms or at least the arousal level, the dopamine arousal level of something as stimulating as a sexual experience. But the problem is children don't have a fully developed prefrontal cortex, which allows them to moderate their behavior. So the prefrontal cortex is our executive functioning. That's the part of our brain that allows us to do consequential thinking. Another way to look at the prefrontal cortex is it's the brain's breaking mechanism, right? We might get an impulse or an urge to, you know, um, quit our job and knock our desk over and take this job and shove it or do something highly impulsive. (laughs) But our prefrontal cortex is the part that says, wait a minute, slow down now. That that may not be a wise decision. It's the part that consequentially Mm -hmm. thinks. That doesn't fully develop till we're in our early to mid-20s. That's why kids and teenagers do impulsive things. The part of their brain that's wired for the impulse breaks haven't fully developed. So now you're giving kids something that's really arousing, like a sexual experience, like a game, and they don't have a fully developed breaking mechanism. 
the runaway addictive response is much more primed now for these kids because they don't have the ability to moderate as an adult would. And the other part that's pretty insidious is what happens is, and the brain imaging study on this are very clear. There's about 12 really good fMRI brain imaging studies on this. Um, it, now you're beginning to compromise the prefrontal cortex. So now there's a thing called the dense gray matter, the DGM, mm. and that's, yeah, that's the robustness of the prefrontal cortex. There have been studies that show that the DGM actually shrinks with chronic screen time in the same way that it shrinks with chronic substance addiction. We know that with a chronic substance addict, that part of the brain that controls their impulsivity begins to atrophy. And we've seen the MRI images show that that's also what happens with excessive screen time. So now it's a, it's a catch 22. You're engaging in behavior that compromises your brain from not allowing you to engage in that behavior. And so it, it, the, the more addictive you get, the more addicted you stay. So there's a new, and people were shocked to hear that something that you weren't ingesting can change your neurophysiology. Uh, that was like a big shock for a lot of people, but the brain imaging on that is clear, but we know that other types of things that aren't ingested could change your brain neurophysiology, like trauma, trauma changes neurophysiology. Well, so does screen time. So mm -hmm. essentially kids that are, were raised on a high screen diet are primed for impulsivity. Um, their, their mm -hmm. impulse, they're impulsively wired now. And, and potentially that's lifelong because it's a developmental window. And if you're, if you're compromising their ability to, to not delay gratification, um, mm -hmm. even though there's neuroplasticity, um, it is a little bit like the language developmental window. If you don't really, um, mm -hmm. nurture delayed gratification in children when they're younger, that tends to be a lifelong now. Uh, characteristic of who they are. Wow, that was said really, really well. I hope that we do have some spouses listening today because it is a whole family problem, right? It's a whole family decision to dive in. How much are we going to dive in? And so what do you say to your patients that come in that say, yeah, I know this is addictive. I know that that especially today's games, right, are they're much more, and of course, social media guys, we're talking about that's equally, it, it, it follows the same addiction reward pathway, social media does as well as gaming. But what do you say to families that come in to say, well, how can we live in this world then? Yeah. Because we have screens everywhere. What are we going to do? Yeah. And he needs to be social. And these are his only friends. And I mean, I know we have our own screen strong positions around that. And we help families. I'm just curious. What do you see? Because I'm sure you'd answer that almost every day. Yeah, I mean, and there's definitely a gender divide in screen time, right? There's gaming tends to be more male dominated and social media tends to be uh, more female and not exclusively, but right. you know, we, we might say that that, God, if we can even say that such a thing as gender is now, right? That's, I write <laughs> about that in my digital and madness book that social media is creating a lot of social contagions, like everything like gender dysphoria spiking a thousand percent, you know, because of social contagions on social media. The gender divide, you know, boys tend to be, they like the adrenaline surge of certain things. And so some of those activities play up to them and girls tend to have some collectivist tendencies and social media plays up to, to that as well. I think one of the biggest problems with parents uh, has been that we've we've sort of conflated modern digital experiences with um, what what the adults had grown up with, right? We've conflated it with television. And so mm -hmm. a lot of dads think, well, you know, my, my kid's playing a video game. I grew up on TV or I grew up playing, you know, video games like Pac-Man. Yeah. And so they've conflated modern gaming or modern screen time with TV or gaming from 1970. And they're, they're, there's a seismic difference on, on what's happening. And, and that's where you have to do the educational piece to the parents, explain this isn't Pac-Man and this isn't TV. Uh, there's an immersive and interactive quality that makes these experiences much more psychodynamically impactful than when you were a passive viewer. When, when you and I were growing up, I mean, when I was a kid growing up watching, you know, Starsky and Hutch, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, there was a, a, a big monolithic TV in the middle of the living room within, with rabbit ears. And, and I was a passive viewer of a visual medium. Now our kids are interactive experience and they're immersed in the platform they're not watching it they're in it and so that impacts them in a much more significant way 
And parents need to know that. Parents need to know that. Yeah, it's really hard for parents to understand that because they bring in these biases. And that's a whole nother discussion about how our biases really affect our parenting, affect our life, affect all of our decisions. And the hardest thing in the world to do is to step away, turn around and look at yourself and 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 try to evaluate, you know, why why am I believing this? It's very hard to change. And of course, there's this thing called, you know, the anchoring bias. I talk about that a lot, that the first time you see or hear something is going to be kind of what sticks. And so for parents, first thing we knew about video games was Pac-Man, just like you said, they don't understand what the current games are like, um, how lifelike they are, how the content mm-hmm. is unbelievable and how, even though there's some game ratings, it's like, I, I remember so clearly having this thought that no one, Nicholas, no one would ever make anything that would hurt my son. Mm-hmm. Like, how crazy of a thought is that, you know? But I thought, well, it's a game. It's a video game. He's he's learning code. Yes. <laughs> I thought he, because he told me. I'm like, oh. So you learn after your first one. Maybe you don't believe everything they say. But but I'm not trying to give parents a hall pass. But I am trying to say, parent, you, you, you don't have a choice. You have to get educated on this. And our course, again, I'll do a little plug for our course. This is why we came out with this online course. We're trying to help parents get caught up and get up to speed. We've curated all this information. We're recommending your book in our course. We we went out there and found the best of the best stuff. We're saying here in just a few short hours, you can like get caught up and understand what's happening because believe it or not, you are responsible for what your kid is doing I, that hit me more than anything with my son. It is not his fault. And I'm sure you, we don't want to like blame people, but I think think we get really frustrated with our kids. I'm like, do not get frustrated with your son or your daughter for being on social media. This is not her fault. Her brain is acting the way her brain should be acting, but we're just putting the wrong thing in her path. So you've got a parent sitting there in your office. What do you tell them to do? They're just coming in. They're saying, you know what? Something isn't right. He quit baseball. He quit cross country. He's not, I I think there's something wrong. All he wants to do is play video games. And my husband and I are fighting about it because he thinks that he should play. In fact, dad's actually playing with him. And again, I don't want to throw dad under the bus. Dad doesn't understand what's happening. Um, But if you had that couple sitting, what would be the action step? I mean, of course it's screen strong. We just say, Hey, you got to take a long break and get him interested in other things. And I'm assuming you, you know, that's what any psychiatrist would say, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, in in the same way that before you reach the prescription pad for depression, you don't just reach for the pharmaceuticals. You would say, well, if someone's got depression, you need to, we know that there's two lifestyle changes that really impact depression. We know that being physically active is an antidepressive. And we know that community being, you know, socializing is an antidepressant. So the first course of action we would tell people with clinical depression before we reach for the the Prozac is, you know, try these two things because typically, you know, the more sedentary and the more um, isolated you are, that's where the depression feeds off of. And when you think about screen time and gaming, it's a nuclear bomb on those two things. And no wonder so many of our gamers are depressed or or they'll identify as being depressed and they're self-medicating by escaping through the gaming. A lot of my clients right. will say that I'm not, the gaming is just the cure. The real issue is I feel alone. I feel disempowered. I feel um, mm-hmm. wh- whatever the case may be. And that may be true, but we also call those bi-directional forces, right? There, right. there might be core depression there and, and the gaming might be an escape of that. Or we do know that the Gaming itself could be driving the depression, and then it, it's a vicious cycle. The more you game, the more depressed you get. In the same way that if an alcoholic is depressed because they're grieving their spouse, the more they drink, the more depressed they get. The more depressed they get, the more they drink, and that's the vicious addictive cycle. So telling the parents, it's it's a big part of it is educational. It's letting them know that most parents have drank the Kool-Aid that A, these devices aren't harmful. It's just, you know, kids having fun. Um, another part of the Kool-Aid is that it's educational, right? So no no parent, mm-hmm. I think, or let me take that back. I hate absolutes. Most parents don't knowingly hurt their kids. Most parents want to do what's right by their kids. So there are certain narratives that they've accepted because it helps them. It allows them to do, because um, it's let's face it, it's easier to be, it's much harder to be a tech cautious parent or a screen safe parent. It's much 
it's 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 so hard to be a traditional parent these days. So so and we know that kids that aren't screens are quieter and they're more sedated because they're zombified. So if a parent has that narrative saying it's educational, it's good for them. And then the other narrative is they'll be behind in this technological world that we live in. Little Johnny and Susie are going to be behind the eight ball, and I need to get them on on the tablet at age 18 months, or else they'll be behind. So First, you have to do, disabuse all those narratives. Cognitively, you're impairing your children. The earlier you get them on screens, delay, 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 because you're going to be stunting their growth. Then I hit them with the, the biggest titans of tech. Um, Sergey Brin and Larry Page at Google were Montessori students. Jeff Bezos was a Montessori yeah. student. Yes. All these brilliant minds in technology had traditional organic childhoods. These the, uh, the, the the Google boys weren't raised with a tablet in the womb, and yet and yet that's what we're thinking our kids have to do. So that's a misnomer. We have to look at some of that research. So we've got to educate the parents that this this idea that you might be believing in these are false. But now let's look at the clinical damage that could be happening, or the developmental, or the educational damage, and that's when we start kind of layering in some of that. So let's understand that this is not the innocent or maybe even educational activity that you think it is, um, especially if your child might have some underlying predispositions that might make them more vulnerable to some of the, you know, if there's underlying mental health issues, yeah. depression, anxiety, this is only going to make things worse. Well, and I think it really creates a lot of sort of false problems too, because mm -hmm. once we see what happens when we, we take it away, then are they, they kind of normalize again. And so you mm -hmm. have to just draw the conclusion that at this stage of their development, this really wasn't helping them at all. What do you tell, I mean, how can you speak to um, the parents with the questions about their kids being social? We get this a lot. And if you've listened at all to any of my story, know anything about our family, our our kids, my my gamer kid was probably the least social in mm. our family. And, and, you know, those social skills are just like language and the other skills that they have to learn early while those pathways are still mm. moldable. Right. And so the thing about, you know, when parents are sitting there with you saying, but this is his only social outlet that must make you cringe. But I mean, it, because it's not, it's like a dead end in a maze. It's like you're in a maze and you hit the dead end and you think that that's that you're home free and you're not, you've got to get them out of that world and get them into the real world. But parents are very worried about this and the fear of missing out and the fear that they're not going to be social. They're not going to have any friends. Right. That's of course what ScreenStorm is all about. We're going to help you. We're going to show you how to do that. But what do you, how do you troubleshoot that with parents sitting in front of you? Yeah. Well, one of the things that I tell them that I find fascinating myself is, you know, we're going through a loneliness epidemic, you know, talking about socialization, right? And what's interesting is when you look at each cohort generationally as you get younger. So when you go from baby boomer to Gen X to millennial to Gen Z and on down, the, you know, each increasingly young generation, the, the, the more plugged in they are, the more they report being lonely and isolated. And so that should be, that goes contrary to the narrative, right? We were, we were sold. We were the promise of things like social media and technology where it's going to, it was going to be connectivity and, and this uh, socialization enhancement for a social species was supposed to be this wonderful thing. Like, for example, <laughs> when social media first came out, and here we, we'll, you know, kind of switch a little bit to social media. It was it was going to be this great glue, the social cohesive that was going to make everything so wonderful. And yet we're seeing that one out of four millennials have zero friends, and yet they're the most plugged in generation. Yeah. So the correlation is. More tech, less friends, less socialization, less and more isolation, more feeling depressed and mm -hmm. suicidal. And, and I think mm -hmm. there's no, it's no accident that our youngest people have the highest suicide rates and the highest self-harm rates because they're feeling more and more empty and self-loathing. So yeah, it's easy to drop the tablet into the crib because the baby will stop crying, but you're going to have a really empty, impulsive kid slash young adult as, as a byproduct of that. So put in the hard work that's necessary to really mm -hmm. develop a healthy, balanced kid who knows yeah. how to critically think and knows, has a clear sense of their own identity and isn't looking for validation through extrinsic likes or 
you know, the, the world of influencers, because what we're seeing now and what I write a lot in Digital Madness is the shaping influence of social media that beyond the empty values, the junk values of the Kylie Jenners and the Kardashians or materialism and, and really empty narcissism, we're seeing um, influencers who are psychiatrically unwell, who have, are getting billions of followers, who are now getting mm -hmm. billions of uh, views, who, are, who now have more influence on our kids than you and I do. And yeah. so these influencers aren't called influencers for nothing. They are influencing our kids. And so we're seeing things like TikTok Tourette's and we're seeing things like dissociative disorder, borderline personality disorder, uh, gender dysphoria at all time record levels. At the same time that we're seeing influencers who um, proudly uh, are, are BPD influencers or dissociative influencers because the What's popular on social media, as you know, Melanie, the coin of the realm is the most over-the-top behavior gets the most attention, yes. right? People having a thoughtful discussion gets two people are going to watch that. But somebody acting <laughs> the most novel, reactive, novel, whatever, that gets the eyeballs. And so mm -hmm. what pediatricians are seeing and what people that run treatment programs like I am seeing is now you're having these uh, young people coming in for mental health issues. And it's and it is screen based, social media based because it's not they don't genuinely have these disorders. Now they're beginning to mimic in a social contagion yes. sort of way some of these behaviors, and we see that the proof of that is that when we because we do a digital detox for eight weeks in my mental health program, young women who really have borderline personality disorder don't get better after four weeks of being off social media. The right. ones who have what I call pseudo borderline personality disorder, social media shaped BPD. After four weeks of being off social media, all of a sudden they're not cutting their arms anymore. They're not histrionic, they're not reactive, they're not black and white thinking. All the diagnostic symptoms seem to go away. And so that tells you that this was not the real disorder, but this was sort of a- Acquired, um, it's acquired. Acquired through yeah. this, this, this thing. So we're seeing this whole other world that's now evolving. And that there's a reason why our young people are so reactive and emotional and unwell. And, 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 and look at the larger society. Look at our political spectrum. We're more divided than we've ever been because mm -hmm. think about what social media is. Social media is an organism that feeds off of polarization. You know, the algorithm finds what you like or what I like, <laughs> amplifies it in what's called an extremification loop. Because we know that the lizard brain, if the lizard brain is activated, that's what creates the views. And, and, and we knew this now, we know this now from the Facebook whistleblower, you know, the Instagram whistleblower, Francis Hogan, who came out and, and did the Wall Street Journal investigative report. And she testified in front of the Senate saying they had their own internal research at Instagram that showed uh, girls that were on Instagram were uh, British girls were 12% uh, more suicidal. American girls were 6% more mm -hmm. suicidal. Mm -hmm. uh, if you had an eating disorder, it was 17% worse. And they said we could change the algorithm because the algorithms were, were, were fixed like heat-seeking missiles to attack psychological vulnerability. And they said, no, we're not going to decrease the intensity of the algorithm because that's going to decrease engagement. So that wow. part to me, like when, when I think parents find that out to say, this isn't just your daughter watching something this is these are predatory companies that are attacking our children's vulnerabilities in ways that are really harmful potentially lethal and and the pox upon them for doing this just but but shame on us if we're not going to open up our eyes and, and protect our kids from this toxin that's hurting mm -hmm. so you know gaming is its own uh um failure to launch toxin but social media is also now this other thing because let's face it it swallowed up our world in a very short period of time uh, from tiktok to instagram to all of it so, so a lot of people ask me don't you just want to shut down all the companies don't you want to just shut down whatever and i'm like no i really don't because my kids don't have to live there and just like smoking Big tobacco is fine, but we don't have to smoke. And so I'm going to ask you the loaded question. What is your thoughts? And is it possible for a child to grow up screen strong and be healthy and to grow up using screens as a tool, but not engaging in the toxic use of screens and yet still be a functional teenager? Yeah. If they don't play video games, if they don't do social media, what what yeah. is your thought on that? 
Uh, a metaphor that I love is the we're never going to make the ocean less turbulent. The ocean's going to have some waves and some turbulence, but we can become better swimmers. Yeah. And so we're not going to, we can't flick a switch and become Amish or Luddites. Sure. Um, so we have to live in this world, but we can certainly immunize ourselves. And here I do use language like a psychological immune system. So we do have to build a resilience, critical thinking, certain skill sets into our children that they're currently not getting. Mm -hmm. um, so I think part of the antidote in, in my book, Digital Madness, I use an archetype uh, called the philosopher warrior that we have to make our children and our young adults philosopher warriors because what's what's been vacuumed out of public education and out of like the society, especially from the young people that I work with, and I was a professor for many years, and you began to see it's the stereotype of the um, the the fragile kids, the fragile young adults who are mm -hmm. the trigger, you know, the safe space, trigger warning young people who can't live life on life's terms for whatever reason they've been so bubble wrapped. Um, and so, and, and the ones that have been bubble wrapped are the ones that have been screen uh, coddled. And so those young people now really can't really function. They live in this highly emotionally reactive stage, which I think is to a large degree, social media primed. So, so can we at an early age teach our kids? Because a kid who can master critical thinking is going to be as vulnerable to social media nonsense. A kid who has a strong sense of self-identity isn't going to be as vulnerable. They're going to have a stronger psychological immune system to uh, not have to create an avatar identity for some gaming platform because they embrace their own life as the hero's journey. And I do, we do a whole program called the hero's journey. So rather than living a vicarious adventure through some synthetic avatar, how can you make your life the adventure? How can you find meaning and purpose? Yeah. And so, you know, I've studied ancient Greek philosophy it happens to be one of my, 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 my passions um, they looked at this stuff, you know, the ancient, you know, Plato, Socrates, and, and the gang, they looked at meaning and ethics and discernment. And if you can, and, and faith isn't a bad thing either, because these tether people to give them a sense of mooring, a sense of rootedness. And if you don't have that, if you're some drifting, empty kid without a sense of purpose and no sense of identity, well, sure, now all these influencing, shaping effects or impacts are going to be there for you. So prevention and 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 helping these kids early on to kind of have a um, a suit of armor when they go into battle against some of this stuff is going to be the key, I think. Yeah, and the way you build that best is in the real world first. Right. And when we all got our phones and our social media, we did not do the crazy stuff that kids are doing on it today because we had adult brains, and we are just so excited to have you on today to articulate all this so well. We appreciate it so much and to just support the idea that this can wait. We need to go take our kids to the baseball game four hours away <laughs> and we need to have our family culture really tightly knit before we start introducing influencers. We need to train them how to be attached well um, and how to know who they are and be comfortable right. in their own skin right. and not depend on video game fake friends and uh, social media people who say they're your friends who really are not your friends because you don't even know who they are. They need to get friends in, in real life. And it is perfectly okay to delay and say no. And I hate to say the word delay sometime because it means that, you know, well, eventually they're going to have to get into the fire. And that's not always true. Um, right. My boys are, in, they're seniors in high school and they're going to college. They're not going to have a smartphone call it. They have a computer, they have a laptop. That's fine. That's what they need. So I, I've, um, well, I've noticed one of the most effective things for like college age young people is, you know, they're very independently minded, right? They don't want to be told, you know, they don't want to be told no phone, no this, but they, what they also don't like is to be feel manipulated. Yeah. And so when, when that gets pointed out to them, when they watch the social dilemma, or when yeah. they see some of the research about how intentional this stuff is to manipulate them, to monetize them. That's when I've had college kids say, what? No, no way. Thing. I don't want to be part of that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And no, and then that's true. And the uh, boys, our, our kids actually did a podcast, a, a podcast episode. It's number 91. And it just talks about, Hey, we're having so much fun over here. Let's just do life first for a while. And then 
you know, they'll get it when they need it and they won't binge and go crazy and they won't hate us and they won't rebel and it won't be this weird thing. It'll just be an addition. It'll just be a tool. And that's really what you're after as a family. So we have to wrap up. The time just flies and we're definitely going to have you back for, I want to have a bigger discussion about your newer book, but can we end with you just sharing a word of encouragement for parents that are out there Nicholas, they're feeling like, oh my gosh, everything you just said, it makes so much sense. And now I know, now what do I do? I regret what I've done. Like we have to get them out of that city of regret and we have to get them moving forward. And so if you're listening today, we just want to encourage you. Nicholas, what can you offer to them? Yeah, yeah. There's no time machines. We can't undo, unring certain bells. But what we can do moving forward, like you said, is embrace what we know now moving forward and make the best decisions one day at a time. Right. And, and that's not to sort of I think there we should be hopeful because there is a grassroots pushback now to what's happening. Yeah. And, and there's more like minded communities like ours. So there's more opportunities for our friends to have like minded friends if they're going to be tech cautious and screen strong. And, and I think I'm optimistic because we're finally waking up to the reality and we're fighting back. And that gives me a lot of hope in our young people. There seems to be some really amazing young people out there who are rejecting this world entirely on their own from their own volition that I don't want to play that game. I've seen some 13 and 14 year olds who are fiercely independent who don't want to go down that path. And that gives me a lot of hope as well. Yeah, that is so encouraging. And you have been such a wonderful guest. And I just want you to know how much we appreciate you and all of the work that you're doing because parents need to hitch their wagon to a larger movement and you're really part of that and just getting the words out getting the language getting the message out is so important thank you so much for everything that you are doing um all these young families even the ones that are just coming coming up through kindergarten and first grade they appreciate you so much and we appreciate you so much for being on our show today well melanie thank you for having me and thank you seriously for all the work that you're doing too because you're giving that critical tool that's needed at the front end before it becomes a treatment issue where you're looking at a program like mine you're 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 at the tip of the spear on this and thank you for having me thank you for the work you're doing well thank everyone for listening today we value your time and your interest and we get a lot of positive feedback about this podcast because of the guests that we can get on here and just the the friendships that I've been able to make um, with people around the country on this issue. And I love sharing these guests with you out there in our audience. It's a definite, uh, the podcast is definitely a front runner and what we have to offer. But I also want to let everybody know that I would just be a terrible friend if I didn't tell you that listening to just the podcast is not the complete diet of what's needed to improve your screen strong journey. So we have a couple new things. And I just want to mention, of course, our course is out there and everyone knows about the course, the online parent course. So that's definitely out there. But the new thing that we have is a new membership um, platform. And we are going to be actually doing a whole podcast on this to explain more about it. But I just want to tell you today that it's almost ready. Like, I really think we're on the countdown of the next 10 days, or maybe even sooner. But in this platform, we have a free access to the membership so you can join for free. But then we also have a level that's a subscription and that is a premium level. And we're going to be having people like Nicholas in there to do more education for you. We have Dr. Stacy coming in on a regular basis there to actually do live Q and A's for our parents. And there's so much more in this platform. One of the most important things that we're um, getting ready to kick off is our private non-social media online forum. So finally, all you parents out there that have given up Facebook, because I've talked to you and I know how frustrating and how distracting it is, we finally got it together and we are going to be having our private um, online forum. Of course, we will keep our Facebook group, the Screen Strong Families Facebook group for the free version of our membership, but we will have a private forum and Dr. Stacy will be in there. And like I said, we'll have webinars and other training and live group coaching for those of y'all that are going through um, the detox with your kids, or maybe you have a spouse that you want to have them ask questions of a doctor to just say, hey, look, I'm not crazy. This is really a thing. <laughs> and so Dr. Stacy will be in there and hopefully we'll get Nicholas to come in there some of the time and talk to y'all. So what is your homework today is to go to our site and become a member and get our course. 
And then rate our podcast if you can, rate it and share it and share it with at least five of your friends today. And then your final homework is to think about planning a little day trip with your kids and wherever it may be for you, whatever your hobbies are, whatever might be interesting for them. We have got to make our family world just more fun than that video game world. And you can do it. You can get your kids back and your kids really, really want to spend time with you. So I want to leave you with that thought. Remember, we've got your back and we are here to help you figure it all out. So until next time, stand up for your kids, stand out from the crowd and stay strong.